Bear Books presents Ending Samsara, written by JW Voice and read by Daisy Ray. Part 1, Chapter 13, Advice from a Kiwi The anger steadily simmering in C's subconscious differed from the way it had felt a few weeks ago. It had contorted now, warped into something deeper, settling into a kind of sickened resentment, a wounded disbelief that her husband could be so callous. It's my job, C, he'd said to her. If they need me in New York, I can't just refuse them. What do you expect me to do? How about showing a little backbone, she'd snapped at him. How about explaining to them that your daughter is clinging to life and every single day is precious? Although she'd been furious when he travelled to England, she'd excused it. See explained it away as Jeremy being his typical pragmatic self. Besides, a man had died. He was showing his new employer that he could be relied upon in hard times. He was making sure that his job was secure, demonstrating that he could continue to be the dependable provider for his family. But the next development extended beyond that, stretched further than the realms of reason. Her outlook had changed. Her interpretation of his conduct led her in two directions. Either he was thankful for the reprieve, happy to escape to flee from the crushing misery at home and the impending devastation they all awaited, in which case he was abandoning them when they needed him most, and perhaps sacrificing the chance of a real goodbye. The other almost unthinkable option was that he simply didn't care, that he'd chosen to focus on his career and place stock in his own future, seeing as Tammy likely didn't have much of one. While these wretched feelings were whirling ominously in the back of her mind, C was somewhat thankful that she did not have the time to give them her full attention. Jeremy's absence had once more placed an increased amount of pressure on her already overburdened shoulders. Until this morning, when she'd received his phone call, she'd been working with the assumption that he'd be home by the early afternoon, he'd be back to pick the boys up from school and to take them to wrestling practice. It was important to her that they maintain some level of normality. She was often in doubt about how hard the twins were taking it all. C had yearned to redeem herself at work after her mistake with the undelivered vocal equipment a couple of weeks ago. But single-handedly manning the station at home had rendered this almost impossible. Her superiors had repeatedly conveyed their opinion that the error was in fact a very big deal. They mentioned something to do with an extremely high-profile musician who they couldn't name and a partial derailing of his world tour. She'd felt badly enough about it already and would have rather remained in the dark about these details. Presently, she tried to plan out her day and was coming up rather short. It seemed impossible to balance her domestic duties. She could not afford to order takeout again with her work schedule. She could not afford to drop the ball again and also somehow squeeze in Tammy's hospital commitments. Living so far away from her and Jeremy's native Delaware, and therefore from anyone trusted to babysit, suddenly made her feel helpless and isolated for the first time since they'd made the move. It felt like climbing a never-ending staircase while a rope was tightening around her throat. 
The boys would need to be collected soon. Then she'd have to cook for them and Tammy separately. She'd have to do laundry, the other usual chores, and check homework, all after assuring that her own work was up to date. She managed to make her way halfway down the list on her laptop, but was unable to secure three drivers for cross-country drop-offs. She called them again, no answer from driver number one or two. On trying the third, she jumped and dropped her phone on the kitchen floor. She'd heard the clicking of her front door. It creaked and then slammed shut. Was her home being broken into? She heard the sound of footsteps and picked up a dirty frying pan from the hob. She placed her hand on her chest and put the pan down a moment later when Jeremy appeared in the kitchen. C stared at him without saying anything. He stumbled gingerly towards her. His hair was tousled and standing slightly on end. He was smiling, but his eyes were sad, apologetic. C frowned at him. She was still angry, and in her confusion she'd forgotten that the reason had been his absence. She yelled, "'What are you doing here?' "'I'm so sorry,' he said, continuing to wear the vague smile. His watery eyes were also full of weariness. There was a brief silence. C held on to her frown. "'I thought you were in New York.' I was. I thought you were there for another week. I was meant to be. And then I saw the light. What? C's hostility was melting away. Bewilderment perpetuated her bluntness. I wish I could have taken all the credit for it. I wish that I'd suddenly just come to my senses with no external prompting. C stared at the man, waiting for him to continue. So, I ended up in a bar and I got talking to a woman... C's eyes widened. Jeremy held up his hands. No, relax, it wasn't like that. It was an older, happily married woman. Her name was Victoria. I think she was from New Zealand. Anyway, she saw me in Javier's, the bar down the street from my hotel. I don't really know why she approached me. Just general kindness, I guess. She noticed how utterly miserable I was. God, I must have looked a state. She asked me why I was there and why I looked so unhappy. I'd had a few whiskies then, so sorry to say, but I opened up to her. I told her about Tammy, then I explained that with all the medical bills and the other expenses, I couldn't afford to lose my job. Jeremy smirked, and she gave it to me straight. Actually, she told me I was a damned fool. C's face also cracked into a minute smile. She said, whatever happens, some things are far more important than earning money. I needed to be with my family. She ordered me to call work as soon as possible and head home, and if they didn't understand that, then to hell with them. Jeremy nodded his head and sighed, so that's what I did. I called them there and then. Dale from operations answered. I told him I was going home. I said I needed to stay here for my daughter, for you, for the boys. What did he say? Well, I could tell he was pissed at me for leaving them in the lurch, but Dale's not so bad. I'm glad it was him I got. Point is, I still have a job. That's good. Yeah, and I explained that I can't just be sent off at the drop of a hat like this right now, not with everything that's going on. You found your backbone, C thought to herself. She smiled, but not fully. She was understanding, but not yet ready for forgiveness. Anyway, I'm sorry that it took a stranger to put everything into perspective, and for me to finally get it. His voice wavered now. All the time we've been together I just thought of myself as the breadwinner. 
It's been so long that it's hard for me to see myself as anything else. I've been fixated on the bills and all the expenses, on supporting us financially through this, but I've neglected the other kind of support, the most important kind. I need to be here. He paused deliberately. That's why I've asked for a demotion. I don't want them to have the power to send me to all these locations. Cecilia was taken aback by this. Seriously? Just for the time being, I'm going to discuss it with Tim tomorrow. Anyhow, the important thing is that I'm back and I'm sorry, see. She looked into his dark, watery eyes and unexpectedly found herself starting to well up. Oh, come here, you great big idiot. They held each other in a long and tight embrace. As soon as they broke it, Jeremy told her he was going to do all of the housework, including cooking and laundry, and all the ferrying around of the children. The rope around her neck all of a sudden felt looser. With her day freed up, she finished her list and did something she'd not done for her company since her daughter had fallen ill. She set about drumming up further business. She needed to find a way to offset the doubt and distrust she'd sown with her mistake a few weeks ago. Though acquisitions and marketing were not strictly part of her role, it had been at one point, and she'd held on to a substantial list of contacts. With a renewed level of motivation and heightened spirits, she called a string of agents, managers and assistants one after the other. She was not truly happy, no one in her situation could be, but with the return of her pillar of support and the lightening of a load, she sounded far more cheerful on the phone than she had a few hours earlier. After a dozen or so polite rejections, she struck gold, or diamonds as it turned out. Caprice Carbon, a company specialising in the precious stones needed, a one-off conveyance of a particularly valuable assortment from the US to Tobago, their main stipulation was that they did not want the diamonds to be flown, and they wanted continual confirmation of their location and security. After finalising the deal on the phone, the contracts were emailed and signed within ten minutes. She immediately called her boss to tell him the good news. She could hear it in his voice. He was wiping her slate clean and allowing her back into his good graces. If you'd like to learn more about JW Voice, the author of this story, pop along to the show notes where you'll find a link to him right there. And as for Bear Books Podcast, we're on all your favourite social media, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. See you on the next episode. Bye.